How's everybody doing? Good, good. Um, hey, if you've never been to the church before, uh, we're doing something a little bit different. Usually in the summers, we've, we've gotten to where we'll take uh, a couple of weeks and we'll do a series. We're not like a series church. Uh, we're not a church that typically does like, um, like, like cheesy sermon series and stuff like that. Hey, can you guys bring up the house lights a little bit? Is that cool back there? Um, but uh, we typically don't do series, but a couple of years ago, we started doing uh, four or six weeks where we would just kind of take something and um, work through it. And it's usually something kind of that's concerning our culture or relevant in our society or whatever the case may be. So this year, what we decided to do is we're doing six weeks and Josh and I are going to alternate and we're going to do basically teachings of Jesus, right? Just, just very direct teachings of Jesus, mostly from the gospels. And we're going to take those and compare those to the way culture behaves, all right? So last week, if you weren't here, Josh did an excellent job. I always find it funny. Josh teaches and he always does a great job and people come up and they're just like, he's a good teacher. And I'm like, well, I mean, we didn't hire him because he sucked. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, he's a good teacher, right? So, um, so he does a really good job. He's actually in Uganda this week. I don't know if you know this to brag. I'm going to brag on him because he's not here. I don't want him to get a big head so I can brag on him when he's on the other side of the world. But uh, he goes to Uganda every year and he teaches 400 pastors, right? It's a uh, a room of 400 pastors that are going all around um, uh, northern Africa and, and spreading the gospel and planting churches. And in Uganda, to be able to build a church and start a Christian congregation, you have to go through a formal training and get a certificate, right? So last year, Josh actually wrote the curriculum for all the pastors in Uganda to get their certification from the government so they can go and start churches all across Uganda, that's pretty cool, right? So, yeah, so 400 churches. And just to let you know this, our church paid for those 400 pastors to come to this conference, get their certification, and start 400 churches around Uganda. That's what your tithe money goes towards. So that's really cool, too. Just letting you guys know. So last week, he taught essentially about this, um, that we are not to follow our hearts and our desires, but as followers of Jesus, we are to follow the heart of God and the desires and dreams of God. That's what we're supposed to follow. Not us, we're to follow him, right? This week, we're gonna talk about this. That we are to store up our treasures in eternal things and not temporal things. Essentially, store up our treasures in heaven, store up our treasures in Christ, and not store up our treasures uh, solely here on planet Earth. Now, I have a preface for today's lesson, and I find it ironic, I don't know if Josh did it on purpose or not, that this falls on 4th of July weekend, but I was given the task to teach on American consumerism. And so my preface to this lesson on American consumerism is this. Uh, I'm not a socialist. I'm not a communist. I don't hate our country. I don't hate the church. Um, in fact, I love, I, I, I love the nation we live in. There's nowhere else I'd rather live. Um, I believe we have a lot of freedom and we've been given uh, in abundance. We have been blessed uh, by God as a nation, as a society, as a culture. And um, I love what we do. And I love the church. I believe the church is the hope of the local community. Um, above all things, I believe in the church, uh, you know, except for Jesus Christ himself. In saying that, though, if we are going to be uh, a nation under God, if we're going to call ourselves a Christian nation, and if we are going to be the kind of believers that we need to be, we need to objectively look at how we're doing as a culture. And how we're doing as a culture as compared to what Jesus wants us to do as a culture. So today's going to be a little bit painful. And it's not because uh, I want to be mean. It's not because uh, I want to make you feel guilty or feel bad. But we're going to assess by secular statistics, 
by CNN, by uh, uh, Forbes, by Fortune magazine, um, by Relevant magazine, that's a Christian magazine, but by different other sources, the Pew Research Report, the U.S. Labor of Statistics on, on um, the U.S. Uh, Department of Labor and Statistics. We're going to look at facts and see if the resources of a Christian nation are going towards things that are focused around Jesus Christ, okay? And we're going to compare those to the words of Jesus. Now, where I'm going to be reading from today, I'm not going to be reading a lot. I'm going to read two different sections from chapter 6 of the book of Matthew. And everything I'll be reading today from this section are literally straight from the mouth of Jesus, thus straight from the mouth of God, okay? So, I say all that to say, uh, some of it's offensive, and it's not because of me, uh, but sometimes when we look at the job we've been doing, um, it's easily to be offended by the fact that we have not lived up to a, a Christian society that we claim to be. Um, okay, so I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that you guys come back next week. I'm going to pray that uh, you get something out of the lesson, and uh, I'm going to pray that I have grace as I teach it and wisdom as I teach it, and that we're objective and that we're open, okay? All right? I love you guys. <laughs> so, all right, I'm going to pray, Okay. <laughs> Lord Jesus, uh, God, I love you. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for a wonderful, wonderful group of people. God, we pray, Lord, that you protect all the people traveling. There's a lot of people traveling this weekend, God. Uh, Josh just traveled 36 hours by plane, and pray that you protect him on his way back. And I pray, God, that you bless his endeavors as he's over in Uganda and just all the other people traveling, Father. Um, we, we pray, Father, for every church in our city. We pray for every nonprofit in our city, God, that you bless the churches. Bless the nonprofits so we can advance your kingdom and advance your name, Lord. Not our agendas, not our fame, God, but yours. We love you, Jesus. Just be with us today and, and give me wisdom as I teach this lesson and compassion and love as well, God. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you have a Bible, book of Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. We're in the sixth chapter. If you don't have a Bible, you should have got a notes handout right in front of you, and it has virtually everything I'm going to talk about, okay? I'm going to read a little bitty snippet. And I'm going to go back and break it down to the best of my abilities. Okay, this is from book of Matthew, chapter 6, starting at verse 19. Jesus says, Don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves can break in and steal. But collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves cannot break in and steal. Here, this is important. For where your treasure is, there your heart is will be also. Now, this little part that I just read is from what's called the Sermon on the Mount. If you go back into the Gospels in, in Matthew chapter 5, chapter 5, 6, and 7 are Jesus's first big public sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And what the Sermon on the Mount essentially is, is it's almost a crash course in basic guidelines of Christianity. If you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to follow the true God, these are things you need to do and not doing. It's beautiful. And it's, you can read it in probably 15, 20 minutes, and it's three very, very important chapters of the Bible. In this section that I just read, what Jesus is honing in on and specifically talking about is greed. Not just materialism, not just people who are trying to get money and, you know, sports cars and big houses. That's not all he's talking about. He's talking about anyone who has the philosophy that life is solely about me. That's what he's referring to. And Jesus was actually referring not to the non-believers, he was referring to the religious people. So in our day and age, he would have pulled all the Christians aside and said, hey, look, you guys know better, but you are living just like the rest of the world. You guys have become greedy, materialistic, and selfish, just like the rest of the world. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. 
So he was correcting them. And what he was trying to do, Jesus doesn't correct us because he's just mad at us all the time. He's trying to get us to follow him, therefore having a more productive life and getting to heaven. He loves us. And he's trying to realign our focus. And he's trying to teach us that there is a transience of all the things on earth, which basically means all the things we accumulate on earth. And there's nothing wrong with having things. That's not what I'm getting at. But everything we collect here, we cannot take to the next life. They're transient. They come and go. But the things that we invest in Christ and the things that we invest in his kingdom are eternal. They never go away. So essentially, what we are doing now, this life, is an investment period into the next life. And so Jesus is essentially saying in chapter six, look up. If you want to know what the meaning of life is, some people look like, if you want to know what the meaning of life is, if you want to know what lasts forever, it is heavenly things. It is God. It is Jesus Christ and our relationship with him and what we invest into his kingdom. Now, that doesn't mean that we just give up on the present, right? I've met Christians like that. You know, I'm not going to have anything here. I'm not going to talk to anyone now. I'm just investing in my future. No, we don't forsake the present. There's nothing wrong with success. There's nothing wrong with, with saving up to buy a new car or, or saving up to get a, a higher education. Or There's nothing wrong with you working up the, the ladder at your corporation. There's nothing wrong with success. There's nothing wrong with even having some nice things as long as we handle those things well. And as long as we use those things, that we use our influence, that we use our affluence, our money and our, our, our authority and our, our influence, as long as we are using those things for the glory of God as long as we are helping those who are in need, and as long as all of us ultimately know that whatever we have is ours temporarily, and it was all given to us by God. Every good thing comes from the Lord. So whatever talents, whatever abilities, whatever success, whatever possessions we have, it is because the Lord has allowed us to have that. And we are in temporary custody of these things until we give those things back to the Lord. And that includes our marriages. That includes our kids. That includes everything we have. It, is, it all belongs to the Lord. He just trusts us with it for a short period of time, okay? So the point is you and I cannot be consumed with getting ahead. We cannot be consumed with the things that the world is consumed with. Jesus even said, seek first the kingdom of God. If you're worried about what you're gonna eat and what you're gonna drink and what you're gonna wear, seek first the kingdom of God and those things will be taken care of. He also says, seek first the kingdom of God because if we gain the entire world but we lose our soul, we lose, we lose. I've even met ministers who've grown churches, 10,000 people churches, but they've lost their families and they might've even lost their eternal souls, that they have worked so hard to achieve this thing, but they have lost themselves in the process and that's not worth it. So Jesus said that we will be rewarded for what we've done in this lifetime and our deepest ambition, our deepest drive should be to do what Jesus tells us to do to do righteous acts and to follow the instructions of Christ. So if we were sitting at the sermon on the Mount, listening to Jesus, he was essentially asking them in chapter six, these questions, what are you trying to get out of this life? What are you trying to achieve? Where is your heart? Where are your desires? Now listen, if we is Christians, right? And I know not everyone in this room is a Christian. If you're not a Christian, by the way, you're going to love this sermon because I'm just going to kind of like bash on Christians for a while. But, but anyways, if you are a Christian, you're like, nah. Anyways, if we are Christians, followers of Jesus, we are to ask ourselves these questions that I just put up here. 
and to ask or to find out the answer to these questions, where is my desire? Where is my heart? Where is my passion? Jesus gives us a formula, a roadmap, a barometer to find out where our heart is. And this is what he says. I added in what's in parentheses, okay, just for clarity. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, your heart will be there as well. So if we can find the treasure, if we know where the treasure is, our heart's going to be in the same place. So where our time, our money, and our energy goes, that exposes where our heart is. Now, there was an author that we misquote all the time from the 19th century named Jean-Anthelme Brillet Savarin, right? That's a mouthful. But this individual wrote a book called The Physiology of Taste. And what he was talking about is when we consume things, it turns us in to what we consume. He said this, tell me what you eat and I will tell you what you are. We, of course, get the phrase, you are what you eat, right? That's where we get it from. And so this author wrote, and he knew, and this guy was actually, he, he knew who Jesus Christ was. He was learned in the Bible. He knew that whatever we consume, whether physical food or whether it be cultural or, or, or society or entertainment, whatever we consume will transform who we are, Right? You are what you eat. So what we're going to talk about here in a second is American consumerism. And the word consumerism is a derogatory term. That's not a good term. And it's essentially the preoccupation of a society to acquire comfort. And that's antithetical to the Bible. We are not to acquire comfort. We are to aspire and to acquire the things of God. And those aren't always comfortable. But we have a consumeristic mindset right now as a society, as a culture, to acquire comfort, all right? So now look, again, I'm not a communist. I'm not a socialist. I don't hate our country. Uh, uh, my father was in the military. Grandfather was in the military. Father-in-law was in the military. Believe in this country, right? But if we're going to call ourselves a Christian nation, one nation under God, we need to objectively look it where our culture's heart is. Now, something else Jesus said was this. If one says, I am an apple tree, right? I'm an apple tree. Hey, everybody, I'm an apple tree. But you walk up to me and all there are is oranges on my branches. I can say I'm an apple tree all day long, but the fruit I produce does not line up to what I say. Jesus said, you can look at any individual, any society, any culture, any government, whatever, and a tree will be known by its fruit, not by what they say they do, but if you look at the fruit of what is being produced, that determines what the tree is, right? That's so common sense, correct? You walk up to a tree and there's apples, you're like, this is an apple tree, right? So that's the point Jesus was trying to make. So if we're going to look at the United States, the United States claims to be a Christian tree. 68% of the United States claims to be followers of Jesus Christ. We push for 10 commandments in government buildings. We have in God we trust on our currency. If you go to any town in the United States, not even a big town, drive to Woodbury, that's a small town. And there's multiple big churches in the square with big steeples and all kinds of like resources and energy put into these places. All around the country, we are predominantly a Christian nation. The USA has the largest concentration of quote-unquote Christians in the entire world, according to the Pew Research Report. There are more Christians concentrated in our country than anywhere else on the globe, okay? That's important to remember. Now, remember, if we're to find the location of the heart, 
we have to find the location of the treasure. So let's see where the treasure is. Let's start off with money. Everyone's going to feel awesome after I throw out these numbers. Okay, you ready? In the average family of four in North America, family of four, we have an average of $15,750 in credit card debt, things that we can't afford. We have $27,000 in auto loans. I was thinking about that. If you combined all the cars I've ever owned since I've been 16, I'm like, I bet they don't equal up to $27,000. Anyways, $27,000 in auto loans and $48,000 in student loans. I remember when my wife and I got married, we had $60,000 in student loans. We've paid those off, but it took us a while. This is where our debt is. Yeah. The average American family spends $425 a month on entertainment. Now, that includes one modest vacation a year. I was very modest on that. The average family actually spends about five grand a year on vacations. That's $400 a month right there. I'm not including that. I included a modest vacation of about $2,500 into this. But the average American family spends about $425 a month on uh, entertainment. As a culture, as a society, we are completely consumed with consumption. The Wall Street Journal wanted to do an article on this, so they got a hold of the Commerce Department of the United States of America, and they asked the head of the Commerce Department of the United States of America, how much frivolous spending do Americans spend each year? Well, they started cracking down on the numbers, and they started looking at things that are non-essential, unneeded goods and services, and we spent $1.2 trillion last year on unneeded, superfluous, frivolous spending. This shows that as a society, as a culture, we have an issue with consumerism. That's what that points to right there. So let me show you where some of that 1.2 trillion goes. $14 billion goes to porn every single year. That is more than the National Basketball Association, more than the National Football League, and, and more than the Major League Baseball. More money goes towards porn and exploiting men and women. More money in the United States goes to that. And in fact, that's one of the highest numbers in the entire world. $14 billion a year goes to porn. $25 billion a year goes to gaming, right? We always say that has no influence on our culture. Financially, it obviously does. $25 billion a year spent on video games. $25 billion a year spent on, on sporting events. Now, guys, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with some of these things. There's nothing wrong with going, obviously there is with number one, right? But there's nothing wrong with sporting events. There's nothing wrong with games. I went to a Cardinals game recently that we lost up in Cincinnati. There's nothing wrong with those things. But we spent $25 billion last year just going to sporting events. That's not memorabilia. We spent $15 billion on concerts, CDs, and downloads last year. This domestic box office this year, there's no good movies out right now. They say it's going to be a low year. Just year to date, the first six months of the year, we spent $4.5 billion just on theater tickets, just going to the movies. And we spent almost $2 billion on cable television, right? A bunch of stuff you don't even watch. We've spent $2 billion, North America has, just on cable. This is $85 billion just right there. And that's only a tip of the iceberg of how much frivolous spending that we've spent in this country. So we're not just consumers in this country. We're not very smart consumers. If you've ever bought a house in here, you know what debt to income ratio is. Whenever you go to get a mortgage, right, they, you know, there's a stack of papers this high and you look at all these different things and credit checks. And one of the things they check is how much, how much debt you have compared to how much your income is. So for instance, let's say you make $6,000 a month and you have $2,000 in debt that you have to pay every month. Your debt to income ratio is about 33%. That means a third of everything you make, 
goes to paying off your debt, right? Okay. So if you're buying a house, they want your DTI to be under 35%. Because if you have more than one third of your income going to debt, it looks like you're irresponsible and they don't want to give you a big sum of money. Okay. In Greece, when Greece collapsed, I hope you guys, everyone knows Greece collapsed financially, right? Greece collapsed financially. That's because the average person in Greece, the average Greek was spending 177% of what they made. Their DTI was 177%. That means if I made $6,000 a month, my debt to income ratio was somewhere in the neighborhood of about $10,000 a month. I, was, I had to pay more than what I even made to pay back my debt. Right now in North America, according to Forbes magazine, which is a reputable source, we have a 377% debt to income ratio. What that means is, the average American spends four times more than what they make. Now, one of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. We spend four times more than what we make because we are consumeristic. And so, but we're a giving people, right? Corey, I know our spending's out of control, but we're a benevolent people. We actually are. We're actually the most benevolent country on the face of the planet. But... Let's not compare ourselves to each other because that is called self-righteousness. Let's compare ourselves to the standard of Jesus. We spend $156 a month, the average family of four, on benevolence. That's either to the church or to a nonprofit or to a homeless shelter or something like that. The average American spends about $156 a month. The average American also spends $425 a month on entertainment. So when we say we're giving, we only give a third of what we spend on ourselves. We spend $425 a month just having fun, and we spend $156 a month helping out the less fortunate, helping advance the kingdom of God, helping to, to, to help women and children that don't have a place to stay. Okay, but we as Christians are better than the average person, right? We do a better job than the average America. Actually, that's not true either. If you research it, of the 68% of people who claim to be Christians in America, only 5% of the 68% give to any kind of church or nonprofit. And of that 5%, they only give 2.5% of their income. So the book of Malachi chapter 3 says that we should give a tenth of our income. And the average Christian, well, only 5% of Christians give it all. And of those 5%, they only give 2.5% of their income. Listen, people all the time say, well, times are hard, Corey. In the Great Depression, Christians gave 3.3%. I don't think times are as hard as they were back then. I don't believe there's whole shanty towns built up on the Capitol building and things like that like there were back then. Times are not as bad as they were during the Great Depression, and they were a more giving society back then. Let's go on, right? The point, though, of all this is not, us, not to make us feel awful, even though I've probably done a good job at that. It's not to make us feel terrible. The point is to look at the potential. Let's look at this. Relevant Magazine did a study and they said, if all believers, if 68% of the United States claims to be believers, if those believers all gave a tenth of their income to the local church. Now listen, I'm wrong on something on this slide. Right now in North America or in the United States, we give about $100 billion a year to churches. That's how much Christians give right now. If all Christians, all 68% of us, decided to tithe to the local church, that would be an extra $165 billion added on to the 100 billion we already give. Now, if you think about having $165 billion of discretionary income to use for the advancement of the, of the kingdom of God, the global impact, if just the United States 
Nowhere else in the world, if just the Christians in the United States tithed faithfully, the global impact would be staggering. Let me show you how staggering it would be. You ready for this? In five years, we could take $25 billion and completely eradicate world hunger. There would be no more world hunger. There would be no more of those infomercials at two o'clock in the morning with starving children walking down the street. Every child would be fed. Everyone would have plenty of food if just the North American church tithed. Not only would everyone have enough food, all preventable diseases would be eradicated. People wouldn't die for unnecessary diseases and things that we could fix. $12 billion could eradicate illiteracy in five years. If the North American church just tithed this year, in five years, we could completely wipe out illiteracy. So everyone of, of age would learn how to be able to read. We could almost completely obliterate ignorance in our culture and in our world. $15 billion could solve the world's sanitation issues. We could fix, in one year, we could fix all sanitation issues on planet Earth. So that would raise the mortality rate in Africa by almost double by just cleaning up the drinking water. We could do that if all of us pulled our resources together in one year. There would be no more dirty water on planet Earth. One billion dollars could fund all missionary work. We could send people out across the entire globe, Bibles in hand, teaching the gospel. They wouldn't have to beg. They wouldn't have to do drives. They wouldn't have to sell brownies in the foyer. They wouldn't have to beg their friends. We could send missionaries out to the entire world, just like Jesus told us to do in Matthew 28 and have no problem. And that would only leave us with a hundred billion dollars to do work in the local, local community and in the local church. Do you see the potential in that? The, the church in the United States, if we just gave the bare minimum that I believe the Bible tells us to give, if we, and I, guys, let me, let me clarify this too. I have no idea who tithes in this church and who doesn't. I do not know. I don't want to know. If you tithe or not, it's between you and the Lord. It's not between me and you. You'll have to talk to Jesus about that. You don't have to talk to me about it. But if all of us were to sacrifice and give the way the Bible tells us to give, we could literally change the entire world, not over a long period of time, over one to five years, the entire world would look completely different. Okay, so it, I think it's fair to say that we are not a Christian nation as far as how it pertains to our money. I don't know if we've done a good job with that, okay? So let's talk about our time and energy. Let's, let's look at that and see how we stack up there. The average American right now watches two and a half hours of television a day, 38 minutes of socializing, 19 minutes of reading, 17 minutes in sports, 27 minutes in gaming, 17 minutes relaxing, which I thought all that was, 17 minutes in relaxing, 18 minutes doing other leisure, a total of over five hours a day of me time. That's the average American. And again, all the time people are just like, woof, I just had more hours in the day. You know, astronauts only have 24 hours a day too, right? Like time isn't relative depending on where you are in life. We all have 24 hours. It's how we use that time. And what statistics show us is we don't use that time very wisely. CNN.com, by the way, is who broke this down and did an extensive study on where the average American spends their time. Okay, but again, right, that's the average American. We Christians do better, right? We Christians do better than that. According to the U.S. Bureau of Labor and Statistics, about 26.8% of the population volunteered one time in the course of an entire year, right? So if 68% of, of North America claims to be Christians, but only 27% of North America volunteered one time in a year, something is not adding up. 
And so a little more than one quarter of all people served once in an entire year, and that is predominantly Christians. That's who that is referring to. So we're a little imbalanced, correct? If look at it, let me be gracious, let me be generous. Let's say that all people, let's say that everyone in this room, everyone in the United States gives one full day a year, eight hours from nine to five, one full day a year in service to their community or to the church. Let's just say for argument's sake, even though that's not what the the U.S. Bureau of Labor and Statistics says, it's only 26%. But let's say it's 100% do that. If you add that time, if you break eight hours up by 365 days in a year, The average American gives two minutes and 20 seconds a day to serving others compared to over five hours a day of leisure time. You guys still awake out there? Is this not a little disturbing? And so let's get back to the facts. If a tree is known by its fruit, the words of Jesus Christ, if a tree is known by its fruit, we are a Christian nation. I think we are reaching, I think we are stretching, Quite honestly, I think we, oh man, should I say that? I think we've created a nation of hypocrisy. We say we are this, but our fruit does not support that. We are a culture that has consumed more than it ever gives. Listen, we are a culture that has consumed so much, we are never able to pay it back. We are $19 trillion in the hole. We will never pay back the debts that we've taken. We we will never be able to give back all we've consumed. It's impossible for us as a culture right now. We are grossly imbalanced. And this is not what Jesus modeled for us. This is not the example he gave us. This is what it says in John, 1 John. Do not love the world or the things that belong to the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, I love this one, the pride in one's own lifestyle. I am this. I take pride in this. That I make all this money or this is my sexual identification or whatever the case may be. The pride in my own lifestyle. All of this me, me, me jazz is not of the Father, but is of the world. That's what the Bible says. Jesus says this in Luke. Oh, I'm sorry. And the world and its lust is passing away, but the one who does God's will remains forever. And then Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke, He told them, watch out to be on guard. You gotta be careful. It's easy to get sucked up in greed and materialism and being all about you. But he said this, one's life is not about the abundance of their possessions. Your your, your value is not based on what kind of car you drive or kind of house you're in or what your status is socially or how many friends you have on Facebook. That is not what determines your value and your, your identity. That's not it. Jesus says, isn't life more about what you have? Isn't it more about other things? He says, this is why I don't tell you, Jesus speaking, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're gonna eat or what you're gonna wear or what you're gonna drink. Jesus says, isn't life more than food? And isn't the body more for clothing? If you looked at Instagram, you'd think just the opposite. People take pictures of their breakfast and like, I mean, what, how is that like titillating to anyone, right? Wow. They're eating a bagel this morning, right? You know, I've been to this restaurant or I'm doing this. Guys, I've got an Instagram account. I'm not trying to bust on that. But sometimes we almost make idols out of these things that we do. And Jesus is like, man, I didn't create you guys to just think about what you're gonna wear and what you're gonna eat all the time. I created you for a greater purpose than this. I created you for something eternal. I created you for something greater than this. Okay, so we see the problem, right? 
we see that we have an issue, that we are, we are not looking at the right things. We're not aspiring to the right things. So what's the solution, right? It's easy. Anyone can point out the problem. So what's the solution? Let's read a little bit further. Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. So the light within you is darkness. And how deep is that darkness? No one can be a slave to two masters, Jesus says, since either he will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be a slave of God and of money. What Jesus was essentially saying is this. He says the eye is the lamp of the body. Jesus is saying whatever you're looking at is the direction you're going to go. Whatever you're focused on, you're going to move that direction. It's going to determine the route you take in life. So if you're looking at materialism all the time, it's no wonder that you're going to turn into a materialistic person, right? He goes on to say if your eye is good, you're going to do good things. You're going to walk in a good direction. If your eye is focused on being positive or, or being educated, if, you're, if your eye is focused on the things of God and being around positive people, if you're looking, if you're feeding yourself positive things, you're going to go in a positive direction. But if you're feeding yourself negative things, if you're feeding yourself bad things, if you're taking bad things in through the eye and through the ear and through people you're around, if you're absorbing those things, your existence will be full of darkness. That's what he says. And the reason why the light is so pivotal in that statement is as we walk through life, we have to use the light of God to expose not only what's in front of us, but expose things in ourselves. And if we're using the light, we can see things clearly. We can see things with the right perspective because we have light on it, right? That's why the dentist pulls that big old light and shines it all over your teeth. He can see your teeth, but he can see your teeth better. He can use those instruments better if he has light on your mouth and lots of light. That's how we use life, right? We walk through life, we have the light of Jesus Christ and it gives us perspective on things. But without the light, the world is dark and, and things are inaccurate and we blow things out of proportion or we don't do things accurately and we're imbalanced and we're bound to run into things. And Jesus says, he even warns us, look, there's an exclamation point. If Jesus ever uses an exclamation point, we should probably take note. He says, how deep is that darkness? Basically meaning, if you start down the path of dark things, guys, we have this old saying, for those of you that are, that are users, right, who are ex, uh, uh, recovering drug addicts or if, if you've beat drug addiction, something we say is we say, not everyone who smokes pot does heroin, but everyone who does heroin smokes pot. What that means is, no one starts smoking weed thinking that they're gonna start doing crack cocaine eventually, but a lot of people do. Because whenever you start something, you go further than you ever thought you'd go. You start off looking at Playboy, you never think you're gonna end up losing your virginity over it or having sex with multiple partners or contracting some kind of STD or getting unwanted pregnancies. You don't start thinking that you're gonna get into an abusive relationship or start moving down a path that is unhealthy. But what happens is when we start moving a path of darkness, we one day wake up and we're like, oh my God, how did I get here? How did I get so far down the path? How did I move so far away from where I used to be? That's the way sin works. And so Jesus says, you can't go down two paths. You have to choose a path. Your heart can't be in two places simultaneously. You can't be a slave to, do, to two different masters. We live in a culture right now that thinks they can serve two gods, themselves and the true God. I hope you guys are still awake out there. Anyways, 
We think we can walk down two different directions, but the thing is this, you will either sell out one for the other or you will sell out this one for that one. Eventually, the teachings of Jesus and our own desires will cross paths and we will have to decide which one do I wanna pursue? Which one do I wanna pursue? And I will tell you, and, and many people in this room can, can testify to this, the appetite of sin is insatiable. It says in 2 Peter 5.8, the devil walks around like a roaring lion looking whom he can devour. Not looking to just throw you off a little bit, not looking just to tempt you a little bit. Satan wants to destroy us. His appetite to destroy us is insatiable. It cannot be satisfied. And if we do not take the things of God and make them our top priority, we will become slaves and masters and victims of greed. We will want more and more and more because it's never enough. And if we're not a victim of greed, we'll be a victim of coveting other people's belongings. That is a 10 commandment. Guys, it is a sin for me to look at your belongings and say, you should have to give that up and give it to me. We have whole political structures based on it and Christians are behind it. It is a sin to covet your neighbor's things. What your neighbor has is between them and God, not between you and them. They have to answer for their belongings and what they do with their resources. And it's quite frankly, none of my business and it's none of yours. And to covet other people's things is antithetical to what Jesus taught us to do. Jealousy is a sin. Materialism is a sin. These things are wrong. And if we go down those paths, sin will tear us apart because the things of this world will never satisfy us. So essentially what Jesus was saying is, what we consume, what we're looking at, will dictate what comes out of us. Go back to Jean Anthelm, right? Tell me what you eat and I will tell you what you are. That's exactly what Jesus was saying. What you take in will make you what you are. It will produce something out of you. So that we're called to consume the word of God, 2 Timothy 2.15. The reason why we claim to be a Christian nation but don't live like Jesus anymore is because Christians don't read the Bible anymore. Freaking churches don't even teach the Bible anymore. So many people have come to this church from other churches, not because I'm a great speaker, because the music's good. They just wanna hear someone teach the, the word of God. People tell me all the time, man, I've been a Christian my whole life and no one has ever just read the Bible and explained it. What in the freak are pastors supposed to be doing, right? Not coming up with Star Wars sermon series, The Force Awakens and the Holy Spirit. That's stupid. <laughs> We're supposed to be teaching the word of God. And the reason why we have so many ignorant, apathetic Christians is because they don't know what the word of God says. Now, some of that falls on you, but some of that falls on me. And churches have not taught the word of God. And that's what we're told to consume. Man, I, that was like a soapbox, wasn't it? We're also to think on positive things. Philippians 4.8 says, look at positive things. Guys, we're so focused on negative things and violent things and derogatory things. And we're so focused on sexist things and, and exploitive things. It's no wonder that we get what we have. I remember when Columbine happened. Those of you who are, who are old enough to remember when that, when that happened. When Columbine happened, I remember they showed a picture of one of the kids that went and shot up that school in Colorado, and he was wearing a KMFDM shirt. A lot of you probably don't know who that band is. A very, very dark, into sadomasochistic uh, uh, techno band. And I was like, man, I know, I know who that band is. 
And it didn't surprise me that a mass murderer was wearing a KMFDM shirt. Now you guys can call me legalistic all day long, but the movies you watch, the music you listen to, and the people you hang out with influence you more than you even realize. Okay, I got time, I'm gonna get on a soapbox. You ever heard of the broken window effect, anyone? I know my staff has, because I say it to them all the time. The broken window effect is something that psychologists put together about 20 years ago. Now what the broken window effect is this. If you take an area that is run down, that has broken windows, right? Like a rundown part of town. In a rundown part of town, more crime is likely to happen because it doesn't look like a very valuable area. So people will destroy things, right? The broken window effect. Now what happens is they've shown in studies that if you take away the negative perception, and if you clean up those streets, if you fix the windows, and if you put beautiful art down those streets, that crime decreases dramatically. What they did is in Toronto, there was a park where crime was just skyrocketing, right? People getting mugged, violent crime happening, lots of bad stuff happening in this, in this one park, this public park. So what they did is they installed speakers all around the park. And 24 hours a day, seven days a week, they piped in Beethoven and Bach. That's all they did. They piped in beautiful music. By the way, Beethoven and Bach were both believers in Jesus. They piped in Beethoven and Bach 24-7. And they say crime went down 800%. because it's what you're focused on. It's what you're surrounding yourself with. It's what you're feeding yourself. And if we focus on beauty, if we focus on positive things, ultimately, if we focus on the Lord and we move towards that, we will get a better product from ourselves. If we seek first the kingdom of God, we also need to practice benevolence. We just need to be giving generous people. We need to mow our neighbor's yard. We need to help out and buy someone's coffee. We need to give to charities. We need to give to nonprofits. We need to help people. We also need to be balanced, right? Like I said, there's nothing wrong with having nice things, but maybe if they're, maybe instead of buying a $50,000 car when you only make $40,000 a year, maybe you should buy a $10,000 car. Still a nice car, just be balanced about it. Maybe instead of the 72 inch, you just get a 40 inch. Like you just balance some things. Keep some things in perspective. And ultimately, we need to pursue a relationship with Jesus Christ because what we take in dictates what we produce. Ultimately is this. We are to conform to the culture of Jesus, not to the culture of society, right? We're to conform to his ways. Guys, I'm gonna throw a couple of things up here. And this first one, I'll just be honest with you. And like I said earlier, I'm not a socialist. I don't want to take what's yours and give it to someone else. I don't think that's the heart of God. But there comes a time in every Christian's life where we need to step back and say, I have enough. And these people over there don't have enough. So I should give up some of my things to make sure that they have their things taken care of. Read the book of Acts if you think I'm wrong. They said that they would see their neighbors, their brothers and sisters that didn't have enough to eat, so they would sell their belongings and give it to other people who need it. There's a family that comes to this church. I won't say their name, so I don't want to embarrass them. But they had friends from another church that they found out the woman had terminal cancer, right? Stage four cancer. And so they looked at their budget and they said, hey man, we spend almost $200 a month in cable. Why don't we drop our cable and take $200 a month and give it to this family for their medical bills? That's the heart of Jesus. I don't need cable. God forbid we live without cable, right? But I can give that money to someone who needs it, someone who's in need. Listen, we have brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. I know they don't live in this country and they're not the same skin color as us, but they're in Africa right now and they're dying by age 30 or 40 because they don't have clean drinking water. Listen, the North American church needs to ask God's forgiveness 
that we have five flat panel televisions in our home and brothers and sisters in Christ are dying because they don't have clean water. You can call me judgmental. You can call me legalistic. You can point fingers at me all day long. It's not right. And we need to ask God's forgiveness for us as a people and me as an individual. I need to ask God's forgiveness that we have been selfish, that I have been selfish. We need to talk to the Lord and we need to better ourselves. We also need to be cautious of our influences. Listen, you need to be careful who speaks into your life. Quite frankly, some of you need to turn off CNN, you need to turn off Fox News, and you need to pick up your Bible. Those people run fear, and that's how they make their money, and they push it down your throats. So and if they can get you glued to the television because you're afraid of Hillary or afraid of Trump or whatever the case may be, that's how they make their money off you guys. That's how they control people. We are not designed to live in fear and anxiety. I don't care if it's of governments, of kings and queens, or whatever the case may be. We need to put down the TV remote sometimes, and we need to pick up the Word of God. We also need to be careful about who we hang out with. If iron sharpens iron, like the Bible says, and all we hang out with is dull wood, guess what happens to us? You need to hang out with people smarter than you. You need to hang out with people who love people better than you. You need to hang out with people who push you and aspire you to be great. You need to hang out with people who will hold you accountable. You need to be careful who your influences are. Guys, you need to be careful what you listen to, what you watch, what you're, what you're looking at at the internet at two o'clock in the morning, what you're watching on Netflix. You need to be careful what comes in because the eye is the lamp of the body, Jesus said. Be cautious of your influences. We also need to evaluate ourselves. I'm not, again, I'm not trying to get up all in your business. You don't have to do this. It's between you and the Lord. You need to break out a budget and see where your spending goes. This is how much money we spend on these things. Maybe if I don't go to Starbucks every day, I can give that $3.50 for a venti iced coffee, two sweet and lows, light cream, no classic. If I were to give that up just a couple of times a week, that was just a guess at what some of you may drink. If I were to give that up once or twice a week, I could give $7, $7. I could give $7. And you know how far $7 goes in Uganda? Pretty far that I could give that up every single week. $28 a, uh, $28 a month times 12 is a little over $340, $350 that I could give every year if I just gave up coffee two days a week. Two days a week. We also need to reevaluate what success means. We have this idea of the American dream and we forgot the Jesus dream. We need to reevaluate what success means. Let me give you an example. I had a wonderful woman sitting in my office. I hope I don't embarrass her. I had a wonderful woman sitting in my office a couple of weeks ago. I'm not, I won't say her name. She's sitting in there and she's in her 40s now and she's like, Corey, I just don't feel like I've done anything in life. I don't feel successful. You know, I'm a stay-at-home mom and, and, and you know, like I, I never got a degree and like, I, just, I just don't feel like I've succeeded in life. And I sat back and I said, hey, how's your relationship with God? She goes, oh, it's, it's wonderful. I mean, of course I could always do things better, but it's great. Pray every day, I read the word. Like, you know, like it's great. We have a great, I'm always at church, I'm serving and we have a great relationship with, with God. I said, okay, well, how's your relationship with your husband? Wonderful. We go on dates. We take care of each other. He provides for me. You know, like I, I support him and, and it's great. We have a great dynamic. I said, okay, you got three kids. How's your relationship with your kids? Wonderful. Great relationship. Talking about my two sons and daughter and it's great. We have a great relationship with all of them. They're coming to church. They're serving. They're involved. They love the Lord. It's, it, it's good. And I sat back and I looked at her and I said, you're one of the most successful people that's ever been in my office. And see, what we need to do is we need to reevaluate what success means. And you know, success is determined by this book. Not economic books, not Forbes magazine, not Fortune. It's determined by this book. 
And if you are being a follower of Jesus, if you are being the best spouse you can be, if you're being the best parent you can be, I don't care if you drive a new car or not, you are successful in God's economy. And we need to reevaluate what success means. We also need to pray for people who hurt. What I mean is we need to pray for our hearts. It is not natural for our heart to break. Let's just rubber meets the road. We have a lot of people that fly signs in our community, right? And I know a lot of those people that fly signs. That means holding up the signs, hungry, whatever the case may be, right? And we know a lot of them because over the years, we've worked with them through this church, right? They've cycled in and out of this church and come back again. We know a lot of them. There's a lot of people that know them. And a lot of those people, I know their backstories. And I know that they're not really hungry. I know that there's something else behind it. But here's the thing. Even if they're there because they have made the mistake, even if they're there and they're not telling the truth about whatever that sign says, even if it's completely their fault, I am still to love people because they're made in the image of God. Does that mean I enable bad behavior? No. But maybe I pull over and stop and say, hey, if you're truly hungry, can I give you a ride down here to Salvation Army? If you're truly hungry, can I help you with this? Can I take you and get you some food to eat? Hey, did you know that Greenhouse does resumes? Can I drive you down there and maybe they can set you up and maybe we can find you some day labor work or something? It's investing in them. It's getting to know them. But we have to have a heart that breaks for that. And that doesn't come naturally. Naturally, I want to be selfish and be like, man, I worked for all my stuff. How dare you not work for all your stuff? But that's, 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 that's the world's perception of it. I need to pray that God breaks my heart. It says, regardless of why they're in that situation, Corey, you're the arms and legs of God. Reach out, do something, get to know them. Do whatever you can. Don't enable, but my God, love them and give them an opportunity to change. And quite frankly, guys, we need to give. I'm not even talking about money right there. There's about 2,200 people that come to this church on a regular basis on, on the weekend. 2,200 and we're the fourth biggest church in the county, right? World Outreach, New Vision, North Boulevard, and us. That's the four biggest churches in Rutherford County. Imagine if just those four churches, which is between those four churches, about 20-something thousand people, what if we all gave one hour a week in community service? What would that do? Let's, let's be more generous. Let's just say we only gave one hour a month. Let's say all people that attended those four big churches gave one hour a month. What would that do in our community? What would that do for Portico and Greenhouse and Doors of Hope, who, who helps women coming out of jail and, and finds them work and homes that we support? What would it do for all these organizations? Not just that, what if all of us, just these 20,000 between these four churches, what if all of us financially gave to the church for the cause of ministry in Murfreesboro, Tennessee? This church supports three churches in New England, because that's all we can afford to support. We support three, right? All three of those churches in New England have grown 20% each since this church has gotten involved. And we don't tell them what to do. We just give them money so they can hire people and so they can do more in their community. And they've grown. My thing is, man, that's great. We're sponsoring three. Why aren't we sponsoring 13? Why aren't we sponsoring more? Why aren't we helping churches in San Francisco? That's tied with Burlington, Vermont for the least unchurched city in the United States. It's somewhere in the neighborhood about one and a half percent of San Francisco calls himself a Christian. Why aren't we there? Why aren't we doing more? The reason why is we simply don't have the resources. We don't have the money and we don't have the manpower. We don't have any... And money and manpower are two things that should never hinder the movement of God. The last thing is we need to adopt the mindset that it is not all about me. It is not all about me. We are in this together, not just as Christians. We are here to be the ambassadors. We are the visible representation of an invisible God. It is not all about me. 
is not all about me. And the proof is in the teachings of Jesus. At the very end of Jesus' uh, uh, life on earth, right, his earthly time, he was here 33 years, right? In the last three years, it was actually a little bit longer than three years, but the last three years of his life, he took 12 very eclectic men, right? One of them didn't make it, Judas. He ended up killing himself, but he didn't make it. But 11 of the 12 made it, right? Tax collectors, business owners. You had political zealots, right? Simon was like a crazy like libertarian or whatever. You had all these different, like, these different, kind of, these different individuals, and he put them all together, and Jesus walked with them for three years. And he poured into them, right? There were big, there were like bottles or like big cups or empty sponges. And he just poured into them, poured into them, poured into them. So Jesus did for three years. And then at the end of that three years, he was crucified, rose again, right? Came back and he visited with his disciples a couple more times. And on his last visitation, Matthew 28, 19, 20, Jesus looked at them and he said, okay, now look, I need you to go. I need you to teach people what I've taught you. I need you to disciple them, which means walk with them long-term. I need you to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And look, I'm not gonna be with you in person. You're not gonna be able to touch me or see me, but I will be with you in spirit till the end of the earth, okay? But it's time for you to go. Now, I don't know if you know this. The university model of a four-year degree was birthed from a biblical model. I don't know if you know that or not. Universities started in churches. We have universities because of Christianity, okay? And so the original four-year degree came from this thinking, this philosophy. If it took Jesus three years to make someone to send out, it should take us four. That's where a four-year degree idea came from. And so what we get from this, if you are in this room and you have been following Jesus for three years, it's time for you to stop just consuming and it's time for your cup to overflow and the Holy Spirit inside of us needs to be touching our neighbors, our schools, our churches, our communities, the lost, other nations, and needs to be touching the world globally. If you've been a Christian longer for th than, than three years, it is time for you to go. It is time for you to start being the disciple maker. It is time for you to start giving. That doesn't mean that we stop consuming from the Holy Spirit of God, but our cup should run over. Our cup should run. And what has happened is we've created a lot of Christians who are just bottomless cups. They keep taking and taking and taking and taking. And that is not the biblical model. I love you. And uh, I feel like this whole weekend has been one of those moments, and, and I'm not trying to sound, this sounds so condescending, and I don't mean for it to be. But it's like when your kid comes home with a D, Right? And you look at them, and you don't chastise them because you think they're stupid. You look at them and say, you're smarter than this. You're more talented than this. You're more able than this. You're capable of an A, but you brought me a D. And that's because you've become apathetic and you've become lazy. That is essentially the report card of the church in the United States. Jesus is looking at the church, and he's looking at this church. And by the way, guys, the average giving of a church is 5 to 20%. This church gives about 30%. We're good as far as comparatively. But what Jesus is doing right now in the United States and what he's doing with this church in particular is he's looking at us and he's saying, you guys have more potential than this. You can do greater things than this. Jesus even said, You're, you might do greater things than me. 
And he's looking at us and he's trying to pull us up to the standard by which we should live at. But we're not there yet. Would you bow your heads with me? So to much is given, much is required. We live in a nation that has tremendous freedom. We live in a nation with tremendous monetary blessing. We live in a nation with, uh, with great opportunity. Virtually anyone can succeed in the United States. We're a great country. We're a great people. I believe that. But we're not firing on all cylinders right now. We're not living to the standard that the Lord wants us to live at. So here's what I want you to do as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed. When you go take communion, that represents the body and blood of Jesus, right? The fact that he died for us on the cross, rose again and poured out his spirit, which gives us the ability to live righteous, good lives. When you take your communion today, here's what I wanna ask of you. And I'm not trying to beat you over the head. I'm not trying to guilt you. I want you to see your potential. But what, I, what, what I'm gonna ask you to do is when you take communion, if you come back to your seat and you sit down, while you're taking it, say, Lord, would you shine a light on my life? Would you shine a light on my existence? Shine a light on the choices I make and show me, God, accurately. Show me with precision. Show me without distortion, God. Where's my, where's my heart? Where have I put my treasure? What am I seeking after? And God, if I need to make some changes or tweak some things or make some sacrifices, Lord, if it advances your kingdom, I'll do that. But I'm gonna ask you to pray that prayer and think about that and ask God to shine a light on what parts of your life need work. If you're not a believer in here, there'll be men and women up here to my left, you're right. If you have any questions about faith, if you wanna make an appointment or, or, or come see one of our staff or talk to us, you can come up here and, and, and ask and you can inquire about that. Lord Jesus, God, I love you. Father, I, I do wanna thank you, Lord. I, I wanna thank you for our nation. I wanna thank you, God, for the freedom that we have to do what we're doing right now. I wanna thank you, God, that you have blessed this country, Lord. You have, God. But Lord, we cannot expect further blessings from you, Lord, unless we honor you the way that your word says. And so God, I pray that you evaluate us as individuals and I pray that you evaluate us as a society, as a culture. Show us what's wrong, God, and help us fix it, Lord. Father, we love you, and we thank you, and we praise you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you guys have a happy 4th of July tomorrow. Don't blow anything up, and uh, help yourself to, to communion.